for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. So for decades, a central tenet of my coaching and my teaching has been a long-held assumption in neurology and behavioral science that you can't erase a feeling or a memory or a thought. You can't delete anything from the brain. So if I have this craving, the thing to do is to face it, is to cognitively restructure it, is to neurologically prepare my body to withstand it. And hopefully over time, as I keep doing the right thing again and again and again, the craving will lessen, but I never expect it to go away. And for a lot of things, that's a perfectly fine strategy. It's a perfectly fine way to live to say there are, you know, it's just like lifting weights. I don't wish that everything in the world weighed nothing and I could just, you know, lift it effortlessly. And at the same time, it means that a lot of coaching change is incremental and it's a battle that has to keep being fought. So imagine my shock when I started stumbling upon research and it starts out as neurological um, brain sort of research in rodents that it's possible to remove the emotional content of memories even while keeping the memories themselves which is to say someone could have had a traumatic experience in childhood and learned say that adults couldn't be trusted or that you have to take care of other people's needs before your own, something like that, or the only way to get attention is to be in trouble. And people will play this stuff out in, in trauma terms throughout their whole lives. And all you could do was you know, argue against it, fight against it, practice habits, but you're always fighting the urge. And to discover that this neurological research, that it's possible to erase the urges, to erase the symptoms, erase the, the present day existence of that trauma memory in terms of how it affects your life, whether it's still alive in you. So whether you can be fully present to the world as it is right now. So if I'm sitting here and I don't want to eat a cookie, then I can make that decision on a present basis in terms of will a cookie be good for me right now? Is that part of my food plan? Is that part of my values? And if it's not, I can be present to sensations, to cognitions, to contexts and do the right thing. So I started going down some rabbit holes. And one of the things I found was a book that came out, I think, to two years ago or so, called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. And it's about a psychological model called Internal Family Systems. And I devoured that. And then I went on to YouTube to look for more people talking about it. And I found today's guest, Dr. Tori Olds. And she had a whole series on IFS, Integrated Family, sorry, Internal Family Systems. And however, she framed it in terms of this higher theory, this underlying theory of how transformational change happens called memory reconsolidation. And so I devoured her videos on that. I found work by her mentor, Dr. Bruce Ecker, and started reading his books and listening to his lectures and explanations. And over the past two weeks, I've started incorporating it into some of my coaching. And I'm not good at it yet, of course. I'm a complete beginner. I joined a uh, another program um, to, to sort of learn this stuff and to upload examples of my coaching and to get feedback. So I'm a very much a beginner. So I'm very excited to share with you someone who is very much not a beginner, who has been doing this work for decades and is now teaching and training other professionals. Without further ado, Dr. Tori Olds, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Howie. I am so excited for this conversation. I'm even more excited because we rescheduled. Mm -hmm. And so I've had more time to, to learn and think and uh, understand this, um, this approach to helping people grow and heal and develop that it reminds me about like, like the metaphor I've been using is um, I've been trying my hardest to learn how to do pull-ups and to practice pull-ups. And it's like, you came along and said, well, why don't you just try levitating? And I'm like, 
that's well, good. Wait, is that is that a thing? <laughs> I did not I did not think that was a thing. And then you're like, no, no, you can levitate. Here's some books. Here's some demonstrations. And here's here's an explanation of the physics. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm like excited. I'm really skeptical, and I'm also like rueful, like. <laughs> I wish I'd known about this. Yeah. Um, so to put it in context, it's 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 um, what we're going to be talking about is is I think a, a, you know a way of, of helping people create transformation that is transformational and not slow, incremental, and like a, a Maginot line of slogging back and forth. Right. Um, so with with that introduction, I'd love for you to just sort of introduce yourself to to my audience and like. Yeah. Who, who you are and how you got here. <laughs> well, my name is Dr. Tori Olds. Um, you know, I was raised by two psychologists. They were a little bit more analytically focused, although my mom ended up doing very present-oriented experiential work. And so I grew up with a lot of curiosity, just my personality also to be kind of, I'm introverted and, and interested in the inner world. So I grew up with a lot of curiosity about the mind. Um, I also was an artist, you know, I did songwriting and dance. And, um, and when I went to grad school, however, <laughs> um, you know, there wasn't a lot of experiential focus yet. In fact, there's still to this day, I don't think is a lot of experiential focus. Well, can, can I ask, what, what, what does that mean? What, what, it, when, when yeah. you say an experiential focus, either, either, you know, versus an analytical focus, like I'm not quite sure. What, versus what everything else. <laughs> so for me, experiential means, um, present oriented, using mindfulness in one way or the other to track the unconscious mind or just the mind, you know, but, but more than just thoughts, which I think, you know, CBT and other approaches maybe already we're doing, but really slowing down to listen internally. In fact, to be more purposeful in dropping storytelling and narrative and these are the events of my week. And this is, you know what I mean? Like really dropping what we already know or think in order to actually observe ourself. And by ourself, I mean, you know, what's moving through our experience? What, what impulses are, are we having? What emotions are coming up? What deeper knowings? Like what is the deeper, what's underneath kind of, you know? But that takes a lot of mindful awareness that when we first started the therapy journey, you know, psychoanalysts, you know, CBT, all the kinds of therapy, we didn't really have mindfulness yet <clears throat> as an idea. So it was a huge deal when therapists began to do really in the moment, non-judgmental listening with more emphasis as well on creating safety. So interpersonal, whether that's through the relationship, like I'm right here with you or having us be safe with ourselves, like IFS does, you know, like making sure there's not judging parts coming in and attending to those. Mm -hmm. And so that's I think when you internal, IFS more, is inter internal family systems. IFS yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, all the experiential therapies have their different ways of doing this, but they all somehow are more monitoring safety and present or and really guiding toward present oriented awareness so that the deeper mind can actually be tracked live as it's happening, you know, not talked about or analyzed, or I think this must have to do with my childhood and intellectualized about, mm. which is very easy to do. Intellectualizing is very baked into our culture and it's a defense that we also lean into. <laughs> you know? uh, and so it takes actually active guidance on the part of the therapist to say, okay, but for now, let the thoughts about it soften back. And can we just be here together to notice what you're experiencing and what you do with that experience? As a feeling comes up, do you judge it? Do you reach out to it? Is there another part that comes in? Like, how does this whole, how does your mind play out? How does it work? And that takes a whole other kind of approach that there's many ways to do that but i any therapy that does that i call experiential okay. does that make sense that yeah heading in the right direction? yeah yeah i mean what's you you're the expert on <laughs> you could say anything i'd be like sounds good <laughs> well i have taken it sort of as my mission to understand experiential work i've studied lots of experiential models and i've gained from each model but then I think the thing that I've done that's a little more unique is really step back from them all and say, okay, what do they have in common? You know, what are the common pieces here? Maybe trying to understand a little bit more what's happening in the brain, which we might get into with memory reconsolidation um, and, and, and how to integrate them, you know, instead of just be, uh, I, I'll, I'll name some, there's, you know, internal, the ones I've been trained in most heavily are 
AEDP, Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy is probably one of my core um, trainings. Um, IFS, Internal Family Systems, Somatic Experiencing, Coherence Therapy. Um, I studied a lot with a man named Stan Tatkin as well in my couples training, which is called PACT. Um, and then just my own mindfulness, you know, meditation practice, which is I've been doing for 20 years now. Uh -huh. um, so all of that kind of is in there. <laughs> uh -huh. gotcha. So, so I'm, fam I'm familiar with everything except the AEDP. Um, yeah. But before, before, you know, like this, um, yes. I, I have like a three week head start on my audience. So I want to make, I want to make sure yeah, I, uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. But what's like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the mind of someone who's thinking, okay, well, what's like, what's the idea behind wow. experiencing wow. being a, right. a useful thing as opposed to figuring out, yeah. you know, oh, well, yeah. my mother did this or I had this experience. <laughs> You know, I was, I was talking with one of my mm -hmm. children about an experience they had in school where um, I took the I took the the side of the school and it really affected mm -hmm. her in a in a profound way. And she, mm -hmm. she's tracking today certain impulses based on the strength of of my defending the school as opposed to her to her. And um, right. Yeah. So what's what's in it for okay. us to be pre to be present as opposed to just like, oh, so that's what happened. Okay, so I think where I might start with that question, there's really kind of two things we could get into that would be interesting. One would be what is in our unconscious mind that we're wanting to change in the first place? So maybe we can do that. That In some ways that makes sense to go there first, but you also kind of set up this other question about memory reconsolidation, which is if we're trying to change these deep imprints, like your daughter might've taken in that moment, we actually, some, the brain has certain requirements for that. So we'll get back to maybe second, we can look through like, what are these imprints <laughs> that, mm. that impact us? But if we want to change those imprints, the brain um, um, needs to first sort of activate. The easiest way is simply by becoming aware of it and tuning into it, but needs elect literally electricity running down the neural network that holds that learning. So, if the learning for her was in a tricky situation, my people won't take my side. Mm -hmm. And therefore I better do X, Y, and Z to protect myself. You know, there, there may be that kind of learning, let's say she got. So if we only intellectualize about it, then we haven't, it's almost like we haven't opened that file so that the new learning can actually transform the old learning. Uh -huh. So it's like it's in a PDF form, right? We can read it, but we can... let's imagine it's a PDF. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I was just watching an interview you sent me, or you 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 turned me on to the um, the guy's name I'm forgetting right now, um, who you started a group with recently. What's his name? Oh, Alan Perry. It does. Yeah, Alan Perry. Um, and he had a great metaphor that I never heard from this. And he's like, if it, it's like when you have a PDF, not PDF. What are those spreadsheets? You have to click in the right cell in order for the information to get into that cell, you know, yeah. you, can, you can enter information somewhere else, but then it doesn't change that original cell. You have to click on it first. I thought that I've never heard that metaphor, but I thought that was really great. I've always used the metaphor of you have to open the file. So mm -hmm. like, let's say we have, like, let's say your daughter has this thing. People who are there for me, like people won't be there for me when I'm up against something hard or something. Okay. So she might have all of these corrective experiences where it doesn't turn out that way, where she has new chances to learn. Maybe people really are there for her. You're there for her. I'm sure you've been there for her a million times in other moments, right? Right. Um, but that doesn't necessarily heal or land on or update the original learning and imprint that said that he's not going to be there for me. Unless when healing new experience is occurring, we're aware of the old there's a way we have to actually activate and step into and touch into what our mind learned to believe about reality, learn to expect. That's kind of what I mean by what's held in our unconscious that we want to update. These expectations about myself, how others will respond, what can I expect out of life, how to best get my needs met, how to protect myself. Those are all very deep learnings. But if we haven't actually brought online the part of the brain, like the neural network, the memory system that holds that in place, that holds that somewhere while having a new experience that challenges it or updates it, or we, we call disconfirms it, then instead of actually changing the original learning, we're just developing a new learning, a new neural network that some other part of our brain knows. Mm -hmm. 
but that doesn't actually change the original um, uh, sort of uh, emotional knowing that's held in some other network. Is that too technical or is that making sense? Do you think? Yeah. Well, well, so this is, this is the part that just sort of started blowing me away when I, you know, yeah. I, I watched your IFS videos and then I got into like you suggested when we talked earlier, watch the one on memory or consolidation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so there's the levitation. Cause I, I come from a tradition yeah. in coaching where it's basically yeah. feel the fear and do it anyway, uh, yeah. which was confirmed by the wonderful work that, that I've experienced through act in which you yeah. know, Stephen Hayes mm -hmm. famously said, like, there's mm -hmm. no delete button. Right. Mm -hmm, you can't right. unthink a thought. And so all of the coaching I was doing was based on, okay, so this is stuck there. And right. like, you know, like a boulder in the river. Well, the river has to learn to flow around it. And all of a right. sudden, here you come yeah. <laughs> saying, yeah. actually, there's, there's, there, there's a, a way to go into the brain and change not the memory. We're not doing a spotless sunshine of the eternal yeah. mind, yeah. but <laughs> good movie. No? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. But but we're changing what the memory means, so that the the, the symptom, yes. like that, I feel like you've got to like you know lift weights to overcome. Yeah. All of a sudden, like magically, vanishes, yeah. and that's that's yeah. kind of what I was like. Okay, if this is real, I got to know about this, and I got to tell everybody. It is actually pretty amazing to witness it. And I've witnessed it again and again, often through my own clinical work. Um, and then I also trained with someone named Bruce Ecker, who's sort of the pioneer of this, you know, understanding of change in terms of um, looking at the brain science and, and its implications mm -hmm. clinically. So let me just say the brain science one more time because you use the word memory consolidation and I don't think we had really used it yet. So until about 20 years ago, Neural, you know, neuroscientists believed that once something was imprinted in what's called implicit memory, that it couldn't be changed. So an example would be if they, uh, like fear conditioning would be like the perfect example. And that, that kind of applies to a lot of things, right? So like if a rat in the lab is taught to fear the sound of a bell, like they get a shock, you actually can't undo that linking. That That is now linked in the deeper mind. Um, until they realize, okay, there are certain experiences that we can guide the brain through that that actually can work to go into the original. I hope the image of a neural network isn't too complicated. It's just that's how memories are stored. They link things together, like the sound of a bell with the expectation of danger, and I, now I have to run away. Like things get linked in our brain in certain ways. That's what I mean by neural network. We can go into that neural network and actually dissolve it it is possible to uncondition a fear response. And we actually did not know this until 20 years ago. And I don't know why it's taking until now for the word to really start spreading because <laughs> Bruce has been talking about this for 20 years, but um, we still have this like very set thing that like, no, once it's in the unconscious mind, yeah, you have to adapt and have build up new learnings and like be disciplined and develop a new habit and do it by kind of sheer will and go against the impulse, you know, but actually it's much more um, efficient and effective if possible to go to the original place that knows I'm not worthy, that knows that people will hurt me. If, you know, if I set a boundary, I'll be rejected. Mm -hmm. That knows, you know, the only way to be loved is to be perfect. You know, that has these deeper knowings, those knowings can be changed, but they can't be changed until we bring them awake. You know, to we to again, we have electricity running down that neural network, which the the easiest way to do is through becoming conscious of them. Right. So, so I can I, keep talking, but let me yeah. know. How's so, well, it going? So, so I did. I mean, it's 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 you know, so pretty new research in the last couple of decades. A lot of it has been you know, sort yeah. of rodent rodent models. Um, and as someone who's coming from you know health health and nutrition, I've learned to distrust rodent mm -hmm. models, like they can point us in directions, but they're, they're not definitive. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like at this point, um, you know, and coming from the world of nutrition, there's a zillion crazy zany theories, all, you know, flying all over the place. So I have, there's a natural skeptic in me. This is like, um, like how much do we actually know? How much is conjecture? And oh, how much, sure. how much of, how much research is actually done on human beings to say, yeah, this works for us? Yeah, right. Um, you know, there's, I think there's about 20 high quality studies on humans that have been pretty consistent. Now there is, um, I can, 
I can email you if I don't know if you have like a liner notes where you give resources, but to some uh, reviews that really dig into the research. Uh -huh. um, the research is strong. This isn't this isn't this is pretty well accepted now that memory consolidation is a thing. OK. And it's been shown on humans as well. That being said, I do join you a little bit in having some. I hold things lightly <laughs> when it comes to the brain, because we're really still learning about the brain like there's. It, we're very new to the study of the brain. Mm -hmm. So it's changing decade by decade, even year by year. So while there's a lot of good research around memory consolidation, I, I do hold it a bit lightly, you know. On the other hand, um, man, you know, watching people who are working this way work, it, it is amazing the consistency of their results. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've, I do a every other week, I meet for, with Bruce Ecker for two hours with a group of my students. And at this point, we've watched through every single one of his videos and we've done, we're now moving to doing lots of live demos. And it is, you know, so I'm like volunteering my friends, you know, like you have this issue, can you do a demo? And it's amazing, <laughs> you know, how in one session or two, sometimes even one, it's like they've been working in therapy. They're therapists, they're all therapists. They've all been in depth therapy or every kind of therapy, you know, for 30 years. And and something will unlock in a new way where they feel freed up. So I've. I, I feel like I have a lot of reason to be hopeful and confident in this. I think my only caveat in it actually isn't so much that the science might not be sound, but it does sound sometimes easier to do than it actually is to do. Mm -hmm. it, it, it sounds easy in theory, but to, there is actually quite a bit of skill in, in discovering and accessing and bringing again that the conscious awareness to the actual schema does take a lot of skill. <laughs> it sounds easy in theory, but um, sometimes the work learning the methods are is not always that easy. I yeah, and one of the reasons I got excited about it is that I it seems to me as a novice here that the skill involved is very similar to the skill I use in coaching. Um, okay, good. So it feel it feels like coaches. You know, well-trained coaches do have a head start, and we just have to, you. you know, first of all, understand. Like we're always told, no, you're not a therapist. Um, right. And, you know, you and I talked about this very briefly. I'm like, yeah. you know, I yeah. want to do this work. No. Like, if I can, if I have this right. thing that I can give people <laughs> to magically, you know, unlock their potential. <laughs> like, why would I withhold it because I don't have a particular, you know, clinical designation? Yeah. No, no, I mean, I love that coaches are out there really actually just going straight into like training and models or what's on the cutting edge. Um, it's, it is sometimes easier to be on the cutting edge when you don't have to go through, spend all the years going through grad school, because usually what we learn in grad school isn't actually the cutting edge. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's exciting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so I want to kind of, like you talked about in the memory consolidation video, the main one, this idea of emotional learning, a little bit like a metaphor of riding a bicycle, like mm -hmm. like this idea of Im implicit emotional yep. memory. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, implicit memory is just different than ex explicit memory. Let me contrast those. So an explicit memory, you're conscious that you're remembering. You have to work to remember. If I say, you know, what did you have to eat yesterday? you draw that up purposefully and you can mm -hmm. feel that you're remembering if, yeah. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Whereas implicit memory is more the things we automate. Now those do have to stay in memory, like how to like muscle memory would be a great example of that. You know, so if you are, you know, riding a bicycle, you can use the, the, you can draw on the memory of how to ride a bicycle without having to do any thinking or purposefully, you know, managing that, right? You could be riding a bicycle and thinking about something completely different or driving to work and thinking about something completely different. It's like, it almost doesn't feel like you're doing it. You know, it's just automated. Now, the beauty in that is that it allows us to move through life in a much more efficient way. We don't have to like meticulously think through everything we're doing and decide how we're gonna ride the bike or drive to work. It like makes things a lot easier and more fluid, but it does mean sometimes we're doing things like without questioning it. It's just, it's just there. It's like, we've learned that this is just what you do. And um, those memory systems, again, we, we evolved to have them so we can just rest on them. They're not evolved to necessarily always be questioning themselves. You know, like, is this the thing to do? Is that the thing to do? Which with riding a bike is fine, but with how to be around people, you know, interpersonally, you know, whether to feel your feelings or not feel your feelings, you know, 
all those things that we automate based on like learning, basically, we do actually want to be able to slow down and do something else, you know, and, and learn a new pathway or learn a new, um, uh, with psychological stuff, it's more around an expectation, you know, like around what's safe, what's dangerous, um, how to protect myself, um, how I should be, whether I have value, you know, those are deep, very important pieces that we don't want to just go with the first thing we learned and assume that's going to be great for the rest of our life. We want to be able to update those pieces. Um, so that is what we're talking about in this conversation is like, is that possible? And if so, how? But I will say it is hard to update things we're not conscious of. Mm. So it's not enough to just be conscious of, I don't feel my feelings or I don't let people close or I'm perfectionistic. That's just being conscious of like the outcome of it all, <laughs> you know, the, the quote unquote symptom, you know, the, 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 the stuck, the pattern, what the pattern looks like behaviorally. We do have to slow down and then say, okay, why? Like what is underneath that? That makes mm -hmm. it so urgently necessary. Like what, what learning, what did you learn about the nature of reality that, that keeps pumping through your not conscious mind, honestly, through your implicit memory systems that says, don't feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. Don't challenge authority. Don't let someone close, you know, all these pieces, yeah. you know, don't feel confident in yourself. That is, that is where the, there's a lot of um, technical and, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn around how to then go deeper to see what's underneath uh -huh. in a way where you're not simply a, asking the intellectual mind to answer because the intellectual mind is not where these things are mapped and it actually doesn't know. Mm -hmm. We most often don't know why we're doing what we're doing. Right. So that's where mindfulness, that's where experiential work comes in. Cause it's like, okay, try not to think the answer, <laughs> you know, like, like mm -hmm. let's go back, let's think of an example, return to that moment, you know, like in incoherence therapy, sometimes we'll do like sentence completions. Cause it's almost like the unconscious mind can't help but finish the sentence. Like yeah. I must, you know, not stand up to my boss. I must agree with my boss because if I don't, and if you just keep saying that, you know, 10 times, something will tumble out from your unconscious mind. It's like, because she'll hate me. And it's like, what, what, yeah. you know, and we, and we begin to kind of triangulate. It's like, we were like little detectives, like trying to really get to the source of like, how does this make sense? How is this what we call coherent? How does this make sense that you do this thing that you hate that you do? But underneath it's based on a learning that that necessitates it, that explains it perfectly. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that, that has influenced my coaching already without really having any new skills and is yes. the, the, uh, the understanding of, of, and, and echoing back of coherence, right? So even like yes. coaching, we're yeah. supposed to be like, okay, you're resourced, but there's still like, there still has been an assumption by the coach that, okay, that pattern is bad. We've got to fix it. Okay. You binge eat. Yeah. So obviously yeah. we want to stop that because that's bad right. and eating. Yes. And, and so there's like this whiff of judgment yes. and I can, I can feel yes. clients like they agree with me, of course, right? They're, they're, right. they're, they're symptom negative stance. Mm -hmm. But when mm -hmm. I, when I fully embraced coherence, like it yes. totally depathologized it. Oh, good. It totally gave people like, Oh yeah. Like I'm not broken. Like it, it just, it like unlocked yes. resources, even though I didn't have a clue yet how to help <laughs> them track the positive, but just assuming positive intent, just the way I guess yes. you know, Stan Tatkin would yes. do in, in a couple's therapy or, or, yes. um, yeah. you know, John Gottman. Yeah. Like what is the assuming positive intent? Wow. That makes me so happy <laughs> to hear you say, because that is my favorite, you know, I love all these concepts and like, it's very hopeful that we can change. But to me, the most inspiring, um, hopeful, not just hopeful, but compassionate uh, idea in all of psychology, my favorite, most core, you know, if we want to change the world is the idea of coherence. Mm -hmm. So I think we're already talking about, it. I just want to say it one more time in case it got lost. So coherence is the assumption that whatever we do, if the mind creates a behavior or an emotional state, maybe even something like a headache, you know, any, the mind, anything that the mind can create, when it does that, it has an emotional reaction, maybe it seems like an emotional overreaction, or I'm doing a kind of pattern or behavior, I'm cutting, I'm drinking, anything we're doing, even if it seems pathological on the surface, even if it seems self-defeating, irrational, or being difficult, like, that's crazy, you know. Underneath, there's a coherent explanation. There's a coherent purpose to that 
behavior or response. And by coherent, we mean that we, in coherence there, we just say symptom. I know that's a little pathological word in itself, but that kind of, that thing that we do, that we hate that we do, you know, that symptom, like underneath, it's serving an urgent purpose. It's based on an understanding of reality that requires that symptom. Like if I learned I will be rejected unless I'm perfect, of course I'm going to have perfectionism. Or if I, if I learned that, you know, I have a deep learning that I, um, you know, am so incompetent and I'll be filled with anxiety if I start a, ta a task. And I also have a learning that if I'm anxious, I'll turn to, to drinking or I'll shut down or I won't be able to be a present mother or, you know, it's like so, there's some framework that makes me procrastinate. And so like anything we're doing, even if it seems unhealthy is really, it really does make much more sense than we think. Yeah. So thank you for letting me restate that just because it got me very excited to hear you say that you were positively impacted by taking in that concept. That's a very powerful concept. Uh, and I think I also must have had a mismatch experience around that because this weekend mm -hmm. I was at an ultimate Frisbee tournament of, you know, old men like me. We we're all, everyone in my, in my bracket was in their 50s or older. And so I had this idea, like, we should know better by now. Like, we shouldn't, like, fight each other and scream. And, and, and there was actually an altercation right. in one of our games. And I found myself, right. like, without trying, thinking, boy, that, yeah. that person who is just being really belligerent, they, yeah. they have a really good reason in their mind yeah. for doing that. I was yeah. like, Jesus, what's, what's happening to me? Why aren't I running on the field chest pumping? And <laughs> it's like, oh, it, just, it, it just didn't make sense. You know, it makes like, oh, tell me about your, tell me about what. what, what it's just from judgment to curiosity. It's like, oh, what, what does your brain know that makes it so important to do this right now? Yeah. It makes it the only option to do this right now. What does your brain know about that? And, and it's such a, it's a little bit of a tragic thing for us humans that that happens to be coded in a part of the brain that's unconscious. Mm. Not so much because we're repressing it, like the old idea of the unconscious, although that does happen too sometimes. That's a, for sure a thing. But just because of how we evolved for efficiency's sake, we don't need to be conscious of it. So it's just, we just don't know why we're doing what we're, a lot of why we're doing what we're doing. <laughs> Um, and, and it does take specialized training, you know, my, like I was saying, safety and mindfulness and understanding of what we're going for to really get curious, allow the intellectual judgments or intellectual justifications for that matter. Like, well, I had to do that because that guy's being a jerk. All of that softens back. And we really listen for why really did you do that? Why was that so important? What danger was being averted by it, it, unconsciously, you thought, I mean, it's not necessarily true, but in your deeper brain had learned, I will be in some danger. Someone I care about will be in danger if I don't have this stance. Um, and then that, that curiosity goes a long way toward healing. Yeah, because one of the things I've experienced often, um, I'm a little, you know, embarrassed by it, is I'll have a coaching session with someone and I will leave the coaching session feeling really good. Like, how are we, you nailed it. And then the client feels really good, right? And they're like, oh, this was, you know, this was great. You're such a great coach. We figured this out. Now I have a plan. And, you know, the plan right. is at this, in this situation, I'm going to do X instead of Y. And then yeah. they come back a yeah. week later. Then they've done Y instead of X. Yeah. And, and it's crazy making. Yeah. And they, and, they're, oh, and they, they feel like they have failed me. And they fail themselves oh, yeah. and they've, they've reinforced yeah. a story about the unchangeability yeah. of whatever is going on for them. Or uh, that they have some character, which I don't believe that, you know, it's not out of laziness. It's not out of trying, not trying or not being sincere. Um, it's just in that conversation. I, and I, I love that you're aware of this now. It's like the unconscious mind just wasn't invited into the conversation. It was both of your conscious minds talking about what makes sense without really saying what makes sense to the unconscious mind. Right. And, and ultimately our deeper mind, you know, subcortical, mainly subcortical, you know, um, what gets imprinted there, what neural networks get set up. I think that has more powerful, more power, Yeah, you know, uh, even our conscious intentions do. Well, one, one of the things I keep thinking of, especially when you were talking about like riding a bicycle as an example, is there's these videos of people who are given, who are bicycle riders, who are given a bicycle to ride where the handlebars, I, huh? I've seen this backwards where it's switched. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The handle, you turn the handlebars to the right and the, the, the front wheel turns to the left. And the yeah. first thing is how impossible it is at first. 
And the second thing is that at some point the brain just switches and they get it. And the third thing is then they can't go back to right. Like they're mutually exclusive. (laughs) Right. Right. That's really interesting. Point. That's such a good point, Howie, because it's like you must have really dissolved the first neural network that knew how to ride a bike in one way. If not, you could just go back to it. But you'd actually dissolved it through memory reconsolidation, probably. Go ahead. I, I yeah. think that's a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, I guess we know that the brain works this way or can work this way. I mean, I had the same thing because as a kid, I played tennis and racquetball and they, I was constantly getting yeah. messed up. But at a certain point, something in my brain said, OK, these are two different activities. There wasn't they weren't trying to fit into yeah. the same, you know, D3 Excel cell. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's um, a really, really interesting. Yeah, right. Because if it was just intellectual, if our, if we really just worked intellectually, you could get on the bike, just inform your mind. Oh, by the way, it's going to be different now. It's opposite. <laughs> and then that would be enough. And you could just ride the bike. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be easy to do. But yes, it's, it's, a, it's a nice metaphor. It's like, even if we understand, oh, no, in this case, yes, I had an abusive mom, but my new partner's not like her. You know, if, if it was enough just to intellectually, like, just redo, we just don't yeah. do that. Thing. But that's what we <laughs> <You> do, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. We try to enlist, right. yeah. even, even when I'm being compassionate, I'm, I'm, I, you know, in my, in my yeah. old way of thinking, I was like trying to enlist the client, like, look, let's figure out how to drop this stupid, unhelpful, right. dysfunctional thought. And I use, you know, like, I use phrases like that, yes. like, like dysfunctional thoughts, yeah. thoughts that aren't aligned with right. your goals and values. Yes. And I can see the pushback I've been creating. That's right. You know, I love that this is called that what you just described is called being counteractive. And um, and the way we're now talking about is called being non counteractive. That means at no point do you suggest that what you're hearing from the deeper brain is irrational, needs to be changed. The behavior needs to be changed. You're just opening up a space for exploration of the behavior's coherence. Mm And that is a very different, that takes, that in of itself takes some training, especially for therapists, because we've been trained to be so counteractive. Mm. Like that's a symptom. Let's manage the symptom. This is not a symptom management approach. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to say that's bad. Or like, I mean, you know, it has costs. That's fine. And we're working on this ostensibly to eventually change it. But we're not coming in with, but don't you see that's irrational? Or don't you see that that has these negative consequences? Or, you know, it's like, okay, tell me, brain, why this makes sense. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to accomplish? What did you learn? What did you experience that necessitates shame, right? That necessitates being better than others. You know, that it necessitates or makes sense of this panic you're feeling or this insecurity. Or, and then when we can, when we can really open that, now we can purposefully sort of like we have it online, then and only then we might we begin to look through and say, okay, but has it always worked out that way? Um, are there any exceptions to that? Because in memory reconsolidation, it's not enough just to pull online the old learning and have it activated, have electricity running through that neural network and have it really kind of awakened inside in a felt way, not in an intellectual way, like I know I must not trust men because my, my dad was abusive, but like in a felt way, like, yeah, it doesn't feel like men are trustworthy. I, I'm, I'm like vibrating with the truth of that, you know, mm. that that's not enough, actually. Then next to it, at the same time, while that truth is vibrating inside of us, looking at evidence that counteracts, counteracts that knowing in some way, excuse me, I should say disconfirms, that disconfirms, <laughs> we were using the word counteracts earlier, disconfirms um, that knowing in some way. Um, this is what neuroscientists call the mismatch experience. Like I'm actively pre- predicting that all men are dangerous while I'm reflecting on, you know, my sweet uncle or my new partner or, other, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, that they're very kind. I know they wouldn't hurt me in that way, but it's not even a push to say like this stupid old irrational thought. And can't you see that this new one's better? Mm. It's just holding them side by side without preferring one or the other. Like on the one hand, I know this, Huh. But on the other hand, I've experienced this, that creates like a moment of surprise for the brain. Like it's like error message, you know, it's like, wait, both of these can't both, both of these can't be true at the same time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And as soon as that prediction error is another word for it, that mismatch experience happens, then the brain says, okay, I guess my predictions aren't accurate in this case. I'll unlock the proteins that hold that prediction, that knowing that learning in place 
and be open for updating. Um, and that's what we're going for. That's, the, that's kind of the magic moment, uh -huh. you know, uh, that mismatch detection moment is like, okay. Um, and then, so this is, there's steps to this, you know, this isn't, it's magical in a way, but the, the work ahead of time, it's like hard work to set up the moment. If the moment is set up well, then it literally only takes two to three seconds for the brain to rewire, uh -huh. which is amazing. You know, it's like, and then it's done, you know, but of course we don't want to, like, I get excited about the magic of that along with you. But then of course, like, it's not to idealize this as an approach because there is a lot of work to set up that moment and, and there are pitfalls and places you can get stuck, etc. But that is the basic requirement. Be conscious of the old learning, bring it alive while looking at evidence that disconfirms some part of that learning and holding them both in your awareness. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of things as from my experience is now having, you know, tried it three times is one is the utter absence of grandiosity on my part, which I didn't, yeah. even, I didn't even notice. It's like that song yeah. stopped. Like you notice that when a noise stops and you mm. hadn't been noticing the noise, right? This little like, well, you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love this. This is so great. <laughs> Go ahead. You know what I mean? Like when, so, like the, the revelatory experience, like when I do good, when I, I've done good work with clients before I discovered this, but yeah, the signature of it on good. their part was always this sort of sheepishness, like, huh? Mm. Right. Like that was the moment like, oh, yeah. And I can see how like little yeah. bits of grandiosity, like me being there before them, like, oh, you got mm -hmm. there was actually yeah. blocking. Yeah. It was it was it was with withholding yeah. for the, the permission for them to vibrate with the truth of the necessity yeah. of of the old learning. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm very touched to hear you. You're you say that both like in your willingness to be open for new learning and the delight you take in the new learning. Oh my gosh. You know, rather than being defensive. Do you know what I mean? You could have gone another way, but instead you go to this like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. I'm being less grandiose, you know, yeah. and, I, and I was before and, and gosh, I'm so glad to like soften that and just be present and curious and honoring that we're not crazy. Yeah, right. Cause I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm no different than them. I'm just, you know. We're really not crazy. I mean, you know, I, 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 that's why I love this idea of getting out there because I think it's so depathologizing, so deshaming. You know, we're not, you know, Bruce says, Bruce Ecker says, you know, if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, we think we're like bad, sick, stupid, or crazy. Hmm. And we're just not. Mm -hmm. We just had a learning. Now, the learning itself may be a really tragic one to have taken on and may not be serving us anymore for sure. So the situation might have been unhealthy. Yeah. But our response to it makes total sense. <laughs> so one, one line of questioning I've been playing with, and, and I've been playing with it in a couple of different dimensions, is around so the mind and the body. So like the biggest um, improvement in my coaching in the last 10 years came when I started, when I read first The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Hulk, mm -hmm. and then got into polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges. Mm -hmm. Um, I never managed to get Peter Levine of somatic uh, experiencing on the mm -hmm. podcast, but I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, read a book of his and mm -hmm. watched a bunch of videos mm -hmm. and how, like how much of this has to be body based versus mind, you know, talking based. Cause when you watch Peter Levine work with like a, an Iraqi war oh, yeah. vet with a tick, it's yeah. all in the body and yeah. there's no, there's no thinking yeah. whatsoever practically. Right. Um, yeah. where, how do you see the somatic versus the, you know, psychological? You know, yeah, it's a really great question. Now, some people approach the somatic, like, you know, Deb Dana, who does, you know, polyvagal, kind of takes the polyvagal theory very clinically. It, it's really about taking care of our system and learning how to regulate our system, mm -hmm. which, which is beautiful. That's very empowering, like to learn like, oh, this is how I take a breath or this is how I come into safety. But that's a little different than going underneath to find what's pumping that, that sense of danger through our system in the first place, mm -hmm. which are these old learnings now and working with those so that, but that you can also do somatically. That's what Peter Levine is doing, for instance, because if you are now somatic experiencing is really great, especially for physical traumas. I, I know they, 
they like to think they do attachment trauma and all the types of trauma. And that's probably largely true, but it's really well designed for physical traumas. So let's say you had a physical trauma. The imprint of that could be it usually is something like my body can't protect me. I'm frozen. There can even be an imprint that says like, I'm still in the danger mm. that it can be an unconscious imprint that is complicated to explain, but can even, it sounds great again, it's, it's, but it can't, there's a schema, there's a, a neural network in our brain that can still feel like the danger is happening right now. And I'm frozen and powerless to protect myself. So if you are doing somatic experiencing work and you're tapping into that state, that is bringing that original network online. That's running electricity through that network. When you feel the freeze, you're imagining being the scene again, you're feeling you're like the freeze that you had, you know? However, if this time it has a different ending where you're able to move that, organize that into fight energy, maybe push against someone's hands or push against a pillow or even just imagine fighting back and running and saving yourself. And, you know, then that's a disconfirmation. Hmm. Now it didn't really matter that they, you don't necessarily need all the words of like, Oh, can you see here? You took on the belief that you are frozen and hmm. you know what I mean? That is really less important because in that, if you're activating it, if you're feeling that in your body and the anxiety with it and like, oh, I'm right there with it you can be pretty well assured that that electricity is running through that part of your brain that is saying, I'm in danger. You know, I'm powerless. I'm not going to be enough. I can't fight back. And then when you have a new experience right on the heels of that one being activated, that allows you to feel your own power. You know, it's like breaks the illusion of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. Like I'm pushing, I'm running, I'm feeling it. I'm moving my body or I'm, I'm at least imagining moving my body. Then that is a very powerful disconfirmation and uh, unlocks memory consolidation. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So the, one of the other dimensions around the difference between physical and sort of mental, emotional, psychological, and I'm not even sure what what words can actually parse what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Um, yeah. But there's, you know, when I was thinking about like theories of addiction. And so on the one hand, you have, um, you know, Gabor Mate, who talks like every addict he's ever seen has had a you know traumatic childhood or experiences. And then, you know, a year or so ago, I interviewed um, Anna Lemke, who wrote a book called Dopamine Nation, in which she's talking about the chemicals themselves. And, you you know, yeah. um, that the, the, the and, and especially in the field I've worked around, uh, like food addiction, where is it possible yeah. to have like just these Both. chemicals that can cause mm -hmm. addictions that are not based on emotional learning or, the, you know, the need for. Like I'm just physically addicted and there's no, there's no schema that says I need this. Probably. I mean, probably, you know, um, uh, because addictive, you know, there is a physiology to addiction as well. So if for some reason you got into something and you know, that you were either using a certain way, I, I, it, however, in actual practice, both are probably always alive, you know, some, of course, if you're drinking or doing drugs or, you know, there's going to be some biochemical, you know, you know, part that would make it a little bit harder to stop or a lot harder to stop. And even if that were taken off the table, you still might not stop because of an emotional need. Mm -hmm. uh, it's serving a role. Mm -hmm. There is some coherent um, learning or knowing that makes drinking actually a good idea. And, and, the, and the belief is if I drop it, I'll be in worse shape. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I, I imagine an actual practice, it's almost always both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it is powerful to, uh, to unlock, be conscious of and unlock the learning that necessitates that. Um, even again, our conscious personality can hate it, but that is different. That that's a different part of the brain. Uh -huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. There's, yeah. there's a book, um, looking on my show called switch by, uh, the Heath brothers, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. And the metaphor that they borrow is the elephant and the rider. And our, our, our uh -huh. conscious, my conscious mind is the rider. And uh -huh. it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what the rider wants. <laughs> if the elephant, you know, wants to trample it. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Occasionally the elephant's open to suggestion, right. <laughs> but not always. <laughs> um, That's right. So yeah. um, I want it to be, it would be helpful or, you, or possible to like kind of 
examples of like this in practice. Because, you know, I was re I'm, I'm reading two of uh, Bruce Ecker's books at the same time, and he talks about sort of this, like, this is like a, a theory-free theory framework, right? Or, or a, right. you know, technique-free, like any technique that does X will get it, whether it's IFS or coherence or, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, so the important thing is for uh, therapists of all kinds to understand, like, this is this button does this and this button does that, which I think has has been absent from psychotherapy, right? Since since Freud. <laughs> I might be, yes. That is a good point to make. Um so Bruce Ecker, who we keep mentioning, who wrote the book Unlocking the Emotional Brain, which really explores memory consolidation, he he co-developed something called coherence therapy. Um while he teaches coherence therapy, and it certainly follows these requirements for unlocking memory consolidation, actually his more passionate mission is understanding just the mechanism of memory reconsolidation and therapy so that we can explore how many of these models are already doing things to galvanize memory reconsolidation in different ways like we just talked about with somatic experiencing or certainly ifs or you know uh emotion focused work or even dynamic psychodynamic work that's more experiential in nature like all these different experiential therapies and probably even some non-experiential ones like are have bumped into ways of doing this but if we understand what's going on in the brain then it's like now we can converse with each other much more mm -hmm. easily. You know, we have like this shared understanding, which does make it easier to integrate between theories. I I'm trying to think of some examples because I've been doing some um, really nice integrations. Now I've sort of finally gotten to the area, to the place where I can integrate like pretty seamlessly between IFS and like use IFS for getting the schema or slow down with coherence and use parts work, like really integrate them. Could, may, yeah. um, and it's just like, so may, maybe could you like yeah. describe IFS internal family systems for just you know, a minute or two, just to yeah. give people context. Yeah. So one way of talking about these, though in coherence therapy, we would call these emotional learnings. Well, sometimes we call them emotional learnings. Often we call them schemas. That's kind of the more technical word, but another way to think about these neural networks that hold these imprints is as parts of us. Now, technically, the imprint in IFS, they wouldn't say, well, that's not the part of you. It's just there's some part of you that holds that knowing, that has that imprinted on it. Um, like, let's say, you know, a, a, a maybe young wounded part that learned I'm not worthy of love. That's just a deep knowing that can be imprinted. Um, now, that child is worthy of love. You were worthy of love as a child. But you could say you have a deep, some you have somewhere in your brain, you can activate a knowing that I'm not worthy of love, even though other parts of you do know you're worthy of love. I, see, even then I use the word part. It's really hard not to capture the complexity of this without using parts mm -hmm. language because our brain knows lots of things. You can have an adult identity that's confident and, you know, is kind of spiritual and believes everyone is worthy of love and that be very true to you. But another neural network, you might say another part still has this old imprint, remember? Because memory consolidation hasn't happened yet. It's, you know, a different learning that says, no, 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 I'm not. And associated with it will be what's called a protector part, which is, if that's true, then I better do this mm. to protect myself. Right. It's you know, I, I better be really grandiose and always feel good about myself and be dominant so that I don't have to feel that shame. Or I better be super pleasing to people so that they'll give me some love because I don't really earn it based on my own value. There's all these kind of ways we additionally learn that get also get imprinted in IFS, we call them protector parts that are like, well, if that's true, then what else is true? How do I need to live in order to stay safe? And that's actually where the urgency around our symptoms comes. Like drinking is a protect, they would say that is a, a done by a certain protector part of you that learned I have to drink in order to stay safe, or I have to bully someone in order to stay safe, or I have to be perfectly pleasing in order to stay safe get my needs met, et cetera. So it's just another language for saying the same thing, mm -hmm. but it's beautiful because when you use parts language, it's really user-friendly in therapy to say, gosh, there's a part of you that knows this thing. Not all mm -hmm. of you, like some other part of you knows something different, but a part of you feels small or a part of you doesn't trust people or a part of you, you know, and then you can really do relationship building with that part. Like you can give it compassion and listen to it and have a conversation with it. And that's a really seamless way of making these underlying learnings conscious. Mm -hmm. So is that the, is, is, is the, the compassion and understanding and welcoming and you know, having the part belong, is that the same as disconfirmation? 
It can serve as a disconfirmation for sure. But the first way it's used is saying, is creating the safety for the deeper mind mm. to speak, right? It's kind of like the shift that you're making recently from like kind of judging it to like being curious uh -huh. about it. That is the shift. The exact one you're describing is saying, hey, deeper mind, we're going to, um, instead of speak over you or ignore you or silence you or tell you you're wrong or whatever, we're slowing down, turning toward you, maybe thinking of you as a part of Howie or whatever. So that's kind of respectful. You're a part of Howie, you know, and then we'll say, and then we can say, tell us what you're afraid would happen if you let Howie be mm -hmm. confident or set a boundary or whatever. Like, what are you afraid would happen? And it's just a way, it's like a, a nice little, I don't want to call it a trick because it's more profound than that, but it's a nice, it works <laughs> to, as a method for letting those deeper imprints like kind of come into consciousness. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it's a, it's a relational way to do it. If we relate to them as like consciousnesses in themselves versus just like, what could I be thinking? Like, think of that as a part. Do you feel generally compassionate toward it? And can you ask sincerely and with curiosity, what's going through? What, what did you learn that makes mm -hmm. this so important? And what wound is this associated to? It, it, that's very like lovely clinically. And, and there's many therapies that use parts work, but IFS internal family system is like the most famous and maybe the most like fully realized. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have an, a YouTube video uh, series on IFS. If anyone's curious, as you right. mentioned, it's yeah, a put links model. to all those in the show notes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I guess the, uh, when you talk to that part with compassion and allow it to speak, particularly, is that when the electricity flows through the neural network to kind of activate it? When it's speaking, it's witness, it's being witnessed. It is flowing through. And, and one other thing that's nice about parts work is it allows it to speak without it being overwhelming. Because if you're in a state of overwhelm, um, memory reconsolidation, like the, the mismatch won't be detected. <laughs> That's why we often don't have memory reconsolidation happen when we're really triggered. Mm -hmm. Even if some new disconfirming thing happens, it's like, we have to have actually a little grounding and sense of safety, you know, in order to like notice that the new positive thing that we didn't expect. And so parts work is also really, it does, it accomplishes a lot at the same time. But one of the things it accomplishes is instead of over identifying with that and being like, oh, I really am horrible, or this is so dangerous, which can be so triggering and destabilizing that we get overwhelmed. If we say, okay, part of you believes that, not necessarily all of you, can you relate to that? Then it, it gives us a little observing space, which is very mm -hmm. stabilizing also. So I'm thinking now in, um, through the filter of polyvagal theory, in which you, know, you said like, if you know, we need to create a safe environment, you know, as a coach or a therapist for the work to happen. And yeah. yet, it can't be like if, if they're totally in social engagement. Exactly. They, so is there, is there, how do we think about the balance or that's the container? I think that's a really lovely question. I think I hear what you're saying. It's like, we want to activate these old places, but, but we also have to stay in social engagement. Yeah. And that is, the, it is possible to do that actually. And that is the trick. One of my friends who's a real neuro geek, Julianne Taylor Shore, she says, the main trick of being a therapist is how to open those old files, you know, to activate those neural networks and not be mm. overwhelmed and, and, and have some observing self, some social engagement with ourselves and with another person and, and groundedness and all that, stay mindful, <laughs> you know, all those things like to be in our window of tolerance, you might say like, cause that is mainly the technique, right? How do, and that, and that's one thing that's nice about parts work or using mindfulness or in somatic experiencing, they do resourcing, they do it more somatically, but how can we, bring these things awake and alive, these trauma memories, really not, not just the memory of what happened, but the holding of what I learned, like that could be destabilizing to reaccess. But if you do it slowly, if you do it, you know, through parts work or with a lot of support from the therapist or just really staying curious, there's a way to tap into those places without becoming them, without becoming overtaken by them. And that is sort of like a really lovely, um, Again, mm -hmm. that's kind of what experiential therapy is all mm -hmm. about. Gotcha. So one final question before I uh, wrap up and let you go. Um, if, if the container is so important uh, and that balance around, you know, opening without overwhelming, is there a difference the way you think about it in terms of yeah. Zoom versus in person in terms of what you're, what's, what's safe to do? You know, it is really interesting. I, I mean, I remember even um, 
uh, Stephen Porges when we were all first doing Zoom, you know, you can't have the, the <laughs> you know, the, the subjective, you know, the inner subjective safety, blah, 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 over the screen. And I tend to not, I tend to have a more hopeful stance about it. Um, because so much, I mean, we humans are amazing and we're so social. There's so much we can do with our voice and our words and our mm. intention. It's almost like our, our intention, right? That people can read even over a screen. And that just seems to be the case. I mean, that's proven to me because I've been doing these really powerful sessions over a screen and maybe you have too, you know? Um, however, is that true for every single person? Might that be... Actually, I will say for some people, what I've noticed, it's more mm. safe, weirdly. And for some people, uh -huh. it's less safe because right. we're all different. Okay. But I don't think it's necessarily like caps what we can do. Like, well, never try to do that level of work over Zoom because we're just discovering it's possible. Uh -huh. All right. It brings to mind, like I was just reading, um, I think, Lisa Feldman Barrett's book on emotions uh, being constructed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. like the brain actually knows mm -hmm. nothing. Like everything it knows, it gets right? It's right. in a little box. And, and so whether I'm in front yeah. of you or whether you're in Zoom, like my mind is constructing with the meaning of that. And it's, it's, it, it, it's possible that since yeah, exactly. 2019, our, the, our, our collective meaning we have new networks of being on Zoom yeah. is a more social thing than it would have been. Right. We're learning how to connect. We're learning. We have now a new map of like, oh, this person is present with me. We have to define mm. our definition of presence beyond physical presence. But I think the brain can do that. And it's really the meaning awesome. that it makes. Yeah. So I'd love to end by um, inviting you to kind of guide us to how people can find out more because we've obviously just, uh, you know, scratched the surface. I've, as this, as this conversation has gone on, I kind of feel like in the back of my mind is like, oh, am I, I'm kind of interviewing to be one of your students because I really want to learn this at a deeper <laughs> level. Um, so, you know, how can people, yeah. you know, get this great stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for one, how will you be welcome? If you want to join our, our group with Bruce, uh, that we meet every other week, you're welcome to. I do yeah. have a few slots in that. And it worked. The podcast worked. <laughs> yes. Your, your unconscious, your secret aim was achieved. <laughs> Cause you're, you're, you're on board. You're learning this stuff. So, you know, okay. So that's a great question. I mean, if, if people want to train with me, which I, it, I do like a six month core training over Zoom, a weekly training group kind of thing. It's just the basics of experiential work. It's, we end up going kind of deep and it gets complex, but I try to keep returning to the simple, uh -huh. you know, here are the basic skills that in any kind of, you know, around creating safety and, and using, you know, mindfulness, basically internal tracking, how to open that kind of inner awareness. So, you know, people are, are welcome to email me. Tori Olds um, at gmail.com. And that's, that's, and, that's um, wait, so somebody uh, just also, went, wait, 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 repeat that. <laughs> At gmail.com. And again, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that yep. in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, and, um, and then also I, and I have a website, toriolds.com where I do have some other courses. I have a course through the that Academy of Therapy Wisdom that I think is pretty good, but it's based on just kind of general therapy skills. Um, um, but Unlocking the Emotional Brain is a great book. Oh, I am a YouTube channel because I'm about to put a whole YouTube uh, series about coherence. I already did one on IFS that I recommend. I'm going to be doing one on AEDP, oh, cool. which is the dynamic version of experience work. So I'm going to be putting a lot more content out. So I, I think my YouTube, if you want free stuff, then the YouTube Excellent. channel would be a good place. All too. right. And so I'll, I'll put links to all. And people can get to the YouTube channel from ToriOlds.com, I believe. Right. You must be kicking there, yeah. ass with the uh, YouTube search algorithm because I found you by accident just looking for videos on internal family systems because I didn't quite <laughs> understand Dick Schwartz <laughs> explaining it. <laughs> yeah, that's my I love that's my passion is taking these because these people are so amazing and brilliant. And so I really want to bring, you know, these incredible ideas out in a very user, you know, like accessible way to non-therapists and therapists. So right on. Thank you, well, for Corey, that. Thank you so much. I can't, I can't remember a, an interview that I've looked forward to more for longer because I'm so hungry for this and you're, you're so generous and thoughtful yeah. and strategic in how you describe it and explain it. Is your oh, music thanks, out Holly. there too? Music or art? That means a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, I, anything that's music of mine is like 20 years, it's like old, old music that's on YouTube, but I'll be putting out more 
uh, from my more recent album. And, and it's, you know, on my YouTube videos, that, that is the music that you'll hear oh, okay. in the beginning and the end is, is, uh, is my music. Okay, so you, you haven't gotten sued by, <laughs> uh, by anyone for royalty infringement. <laughs> Myself. Exactly. Yeah, the part that made the music is very upset at the part that, uh, yeah, one part's going to sue the other part. <laughs> we did not agree to putting my music, this music out there. <laughs> well, I, I, I see we're opening a whole can of yeah. worms here. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I will, I will definitely yeah. be in touch about becoming a student. And thank you so much for taking the time today and for the work you're helping to um, popularize in the world. All right. Show notes for today at plantyourself.com slash five five. Three, movement news. I have dragged my sore ass body back from New Orleans where I had a really fun time playing with my ultimate team in the uh, Fire on the Bayou Grand Masters Tournament. We played six games in two days and we won two of them and we lost four of them. And I have been sleeping a lot during the day. It was just, uh, it felt like kind of running an ultra over a couple of days. So, Recovering from that, um, started having some plantar fascia issues on my left foot. So I'm back to that morning six minute routine. I'm doing one foot each morning because six minutes is less daunting than 12. So every morning I'm alternating feet. Uh, garden news, we're just cleaning everything up, doing a lot of mowing. You know, the grass like wakes up before everything else. And so there's a lot of uh, physical labor to be done, just uh, keeping things down. <laughs> 